0: we should be very careful about artificial intelligence. We are summoning the demon. Hey, welcome back to the Babylon Singularity Podcast. I am your host, Peter Herter. Today we're going to finish up in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Didn't think I'd be spending this many episodes on this chapter but I quickly found out that there is a lot going on in this chapter and so while yes I have spent a lot of time in this chapter I probably could spend a lot more time in this chapter but ah I just feel the pull to Venture off into new territory. And so um, we're going to leave off this chapter today. We're going to finish examining the profile of the lawless one. It's an important subject. I would say it's very important, especially for those who are living in the end times. For the ones who actually are on the earth when the lawless one is revealed, we're going to want to be educated, saints. We're going to want to... Get a hold of what Paul is teaching the Thessalonians here. Paul's not doing it for his health. He's doing it for the good of the Thessalonians. And so his heart is to shape the faith of the Thessalonians with an apostolic faith. And we might be tempted to shelve eschatology. We might be tempted to say, ah, it doesn't really have anything to do with me. Probably already, you know, was fulfilled, and there's lots of reasons to dismiss the entire subject. But if we do that, we will risk not receiving what Paul has for us by the Spirit of God in this chapter. And so, if your heart is, and I believe it is, to hear from the Lord, to allow the Lord to shape your faith in the fullness of the word of God, you're not going to neglect this chapter. Come on now. We know that. I know it. You know it. We're not going to just shelve this chapter and pretend like we already know all about it. Nope. We're going to take it seriously in the Lord. We're going to hear everything Paul has to say about the man of lawlessness We're going to understand that profile, and then understanding that profile is going to inform our faith, inform our worldview, so that when the man of lawlessness is revealed, we will be full of faith, full of confidence, trusting the Lord, and operating by his spirit. We're not going to get deceived by this guy, we're not going to fall for his tricks. We're going to be a prophetic voice for Jesus Christ in the earth, declaring the gospel unshakable in the faith that was passed down generation after generation, a faith that started with the apostles, a faith that stood strong through the years of the early church, the persecutions of Rome. A faith that has survived thousands of years. We're going to be standing in that faith. Not in our own strength. We will be anchored in the Son of God by the Spirit of God. And nothing that this world can throw at us Will move us. We will be watching, waiting, looking for the appearing of our great and glorious Savior. And we will fulfill all the Word, all of the will of God. So if that's what you're in it for, then we can both say, "Hey, let's lock in together. let's dig into this passage. let's see what Paul has to say. let's see where else scripture accords with Paul is with what Paul is saying. And let's understand this profile of the lawless one. So last episode we Spend a little bit of time on what this lawless one, who he is, his title, what he's about. Paul gives him the title of the lawless one, not the Antichrist. He, he is called the Antichrist in other places, but here he's called the lawless one. Last week, we looked at Psalm 2 and about the rage of the nations, the lust for lawlessness And Paul says something unique in this chapter. He says, there is a mystery of lawlessness in verse 7. He says, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Paul said that in his day, the mystery of lawlessness was already at work 2,000 years ago. what is the mystery of lawlessness paul talks about a mystery of faith and the the mystery of god manifest in the flesh there's a mystery to the faith the truth there's a mystery of god's great plan of salvation but that's not what paul that that's not the mystery he's talking about here he's talking about the the reverse, the inverse of that mystery. He's talking about a mystery of lawlessness, that there is something strange going on that causes people to do strange things. It's almost like an invisible magnet that's pulling at people, pulling at their minds, pulling at their hearts tugging at their desire. Paul reveals the deepest desire of those who reject the truth and take pleasure in unrighteousness. The greatest desire that they have is for lawlessness. They, are, they gravitate towards this mystery this magnetic force that's at work that's difficult to put your finger on, but you can see it at work. It's almost like the wind. Paul says that mystery was already at work at his day, in his day, but he said that God was restraining this mystery of lawlessness. The Lord, there's a restraining power. Let me read the the verse here so we can get Paul's heart behind it here. Um, Starting in verse five, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? Verse six, and you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. Now there's some question about, well, what is Paul talking about there? And I've heard different explanations, but I think it's a very simple, very clear teaching, a very clear concept that Paul his teaching. He's saying there's a there's a mystery of lawlessness that's already at work. But he's also saying that there's something that's restraining it, and restraining the revealing of the man of lawlessness. So the it, when Paul says. He who now restrains it, so so that he is a restrain, He is the one who's restraining. It. who is the one, who is the one restraining evil? Who is the one restraining lawlessness? Certainly not Satan, certainly not uh, humans because you know, if it's up to a fallen human, if it's up to a, a devil, they want the limiter off. They want to take the governor away. They want, to, they want a full-bore pursuit of lawlessness. So there's only one who's actually capable of restraining lawlessness, and that's God. God, and it's God's hand that is restraining lawlessness. It's almost like trying to keep someone away from a bad relationship. Like you know that they really 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 want to be in that relationship with that person that's really bad for them. Like like this like you know, you always hear about the the dad who, you know, the boyfriend comes around, can't stand the boyfriend, knows the boyfriend's bad for his daughter, does everything he can to restrain his daughter from, you know, dating the boyfriend because he knows that the boyfriend's no good for his daughter. She's going to end up wrecked. But inevitably, there's nothing the the dad can do because the daughter's going to turn 18, become an adult, and decide what she's going to want to do. And she's going to do what she wants to do. But in the meantime... The dad is restraining it, restraining the relationship as much as possible. And I think that's kind of the word picture that Paul is using here. That this mystery of lawlessness that's at work, like a magnet drawing lawless humanity, God is restraining it. God's restraining this lawlessness the way he restrained the Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel there was a full pursuit of lawlessness in the building of the Tower of Babel. They wanted to break the bonds of God. They wanted to pursue transcendence into the heavens. Basically, they wanted to storm the heavens and take God's place. They thought they could do that by building a tower in the clouds. They didn't realize the nature of like you know, weather patterns. They didn't understand that. They just thought, they looked up at the clouds and were like, ah, surely the gods live up there. All we got to do is Build a temple that reaches up there, and we'll take our place in the clouds. And uh, people will remember us forever. We were the ones who transcended into heaven and took our, took our place among the gods. That's why it was called the gateway of the gods. Babel meant literally meant gateway of the gods, doorway into heaven. That's what they're trying to build. When God saw them building it, He said. Boy, if I don't stop them, anything that they can imagine will become possible to them. So instead of allowing the lawlessness to work out, God in his wisdom restrained the lawlessness. He looked at the Tower of Babel and was like, wow, guys, this is very impressive. Um, clearly, you guys can build a tower up into the clouds. This is only the beginning of what you'll do, and if I just let this go, anything that you imagine will become possible to you. God's like, well, considering that I just flooded the earth like a chapter ago, I would really love to not have to wipe everybody out again. So instead of w- letting you guys pursue lawlessness to your own destruction, I'm going to come in in my wisdom and restrain the lawlessness. I'm going to confuse the languages and send everybody their own way. What I'm not going to do is leave your lawless pursuit unrestrained because if I do, you're going to destroy yourselves. So God in his mercy and his wisdom confuses the language, the tower of babel stops, everybody goes their own way. History continues without a you know, cataclysmic disaster and judgment. Paul is saying that that restraining power of God to restrain human beings from the pursuit of lawlessness eventually will be lifted. The one who restrains the mystery of lawlessness will one day lift his hand and say, okay, if this is really, really, really what you want... I will allow you to have what you really want. And what we talked about, you know, terrifyingly enough, not only does God just lift his hand, he also then sends a delusion to the people so they actually believe what is false. He sends the inverse of saving faith He sends a delusion to those who love lawlessness so much that they reject the truth and take pleasure in unrighteousness. So the teaching here is simple. We don't have to complicate it. I know, you know, you kind of, you know, it would have been nice if, you know, Paul would have stated it a little bit differently to make it just for clarity's sake, you know, I'm not I'm not here to criticize the apostle Paul. <laughs> Last thing I want to do is you know, go like, hey, you could have tweaked that a little bit. You know, but it uh the teaching is more simple than it appears because of the way the teaching is worded that there can be some confusion. The confusion generally leads to people thinking like um the mo- I don't want to get into it I don't want to get into the, the way this this passage is normally understood conventionally well okay so I just will just for like I'm like I'm not here to to stump or f- fight or uh, address these issues but just generally when when somebody you know I, I don't know what the percentage is but most of the time I've heard this passage taught. It's taught in the context of the Holy Spirit being lifted from the earth after the rapture. So the, there's a secret, you know, this is this is the conventional, one of the kind of the, a, a large teaching that I personally disagree with. I don't think you can find this teaching in the Bible, but the popular teaching in the church is that the Restrainers, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will be lifted from the earth um, at the rapture and... And then, and then, once the church is gone, once the Holy Spirit's gone, and then finally the Antichrist can show up because you know I don't know, like I'm guessing, like the, Holy, the Antichrist can't show up because the Holy Spirit's wrong or something. Like that. I'm not sure the ins and outs of the exact teaching, but generally, just as a frame of reference, that is what is taught, um, and you know it parallels, I think, what I'm saying here at, at some level where, yeah, it's God who's restraining the pursuit of lawlessness and his hand will be lifted. That, in my mind, doesn't mean the Holy Spirit leaves the earth. I don't know, like, if the Holy Spirit leaves the earth, like, what's the point of even doing it? Like, what God would just, like, lose interest in what's happening on the earth at that point. He basically, it's a living hell. You know, it's like, I don't think, you know, just theologically, uh, God's surrendering the earth to hell. Um and then then the, you also have the question of like wait a second there are these is you know uh, a remnant that has to be on the earth and actually meet Jesus when he arrives right and they surely they have the holy spirit right so it's sh- it's a funny teaching that takes a lot of effort to defend and quite frankly understand um i would say that teaching goes way too far way too far. The reality is uh, fallen humanity has this lust for lawlessness. God has been restraining it. But eventually, God will say, I'm done restraining it. I'm lifting my hand. Have what you want. And that is when the man of lawlessness will be revealed and the relationship between fallen humanity and the lawless one will be consummated, brought together, conjoined with the great apostasy, the falling away from the creator into the hands of the dragon, and ultimately the abomination of desolation where the lawless one will present himself in the temple, the human frame as God. And fallen humanity, the fate of fallen humanity, the fate of the lawless one, the fate of the dragon will all be bound together for eternity. And that will seal the deal. It'll be over. So that's the mystery of lawlessness. That's the restraining hand of God. That's when God lifts his hand, the lawless one will be revealed. How is that part of his profile? I'm not even sure if that like really fits in his profile. That's more of like the prophecy of what will occur in the days ahead when God lifts his restraining hand. Couple other things that Paul says here, kind of uh, changing the subject just a little bit. Verse 8 then, what's when's then? Then is when God lifts his restraining hand and the lawless one is revealed and he does his thing with fallen humanity. It says, then the lawless one will be revealed, whom? The Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. That statement right there devastates the preterist position that this prophecy already occurred. Jesus has not appeared in the sky yet. I know... You know, the Preterist wants to tell you differently, <laughs> but um uh, see, it's funny because the Preterist actually ends up with the same problem as with the pre with a secret rapture. Now it's it's kind of a current. It's dawning on me right now. And they actually share this problem in common because <sighs> for the. You know, for the uh, pre-tribulation understanding, you have to make room for Jesus' appearing to be a secret, which Jesus says clearly, like, my my coming's not a secret. If anybody tells you it's a secret, do not believe it. Do not believe it. It might be a great guy telling you it, and I'm not saying don't believe that guy, Jesus says, don't believe that information. Doesn't matter if that guy's your pastor. Doesn't matter if that guy's a spiritual leader. Doesn't matter that, how much that guy loves the Lord Jesus. He might, that brother may love the Lord Jesus so much. I might love that guy so much. He might love me so much. Jesus says, still, given all of that, if someone says my coming is a secret do not believe it. If somebody says, yeah, Jesus appeared in my, my, my basement. Everybody missed it. Sorry, guys. Show's over. Jesus showed up and uh, apparently it happened in my basement and uh, nobody else knew about it. So go ahead and just whatever. Do whatever you want now. It's over. Jesus says, don't believe it. In fact, at the beginning of this chapter, Paul says, Hey, if anybody, I don't care who it is, it could seem like it's a letter from us. An angel could visit you. If they try to tell you that the appearing of Jesus is a secret and nobody knew about it, don't let them deceive you in any way. Paul says, do not let them deceive you in any way. Now, that doesn't mean they're a bad person if they're saying it. Like, there's a lot of really, really awesome people who are saying it. And I love them, adore them, can't wait to be in eternity forever with them. But I'm not going to believe that information, not because I don't believe them as individuals, not because I don't adore them, but because I am under a strict command from the Bible not to believe that information. So I just separate that information from that individual, my brother and my sister. I don't care how much passion they have and how much zeal they have to tell me how secret Jesus' coming is going to be. I just I separate that and just go like, bro, I totally feel your passion about the secret nature of Jesus' appearing. Like, I, I feel it. I recognize it. It's fully noted. But I do not believe that information. I do not believe that data point. And I, I think that the relationship can go on. And we just go like, hey, man, just because you're like pushing, a, you, know, a, you know, that specific data point that I, that I don't believe... That doesn't mean we can't be brothers and and love Jesus and worship God together. Like, Like, why fight about it? I just don't believe it. Why don't you believe it? I believe it. I don't believe it because Jesus told me, don't believe it. That's why I don't believe it. I don't believe it because Paul told me, don't believe it. So, like, I realize you probably have an awesome pastor and I realize he's full out on fire for Jesus and a minister of the kingdom of God. I I love it. He's a better person than I am. Absolutely. But he's probably not a better person than Jesus. Right? I think we both can agree that when Jesus says something and somebody else says something, if they disagree, we're going with Jesus on it. So I think I've... (laughs) Belabor the point here. <laughs> Feel my love and adoration for you if we disagree. And hopefully, maybe if nothing else, I'm encouraging you to get in the word, ask the Lord, and really get it for yourself. Don't believe it from somebody else, believe it for yourself. But it's just funny that, you know, that, that issue of like, 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 you know, from my perspective, like, like, dude, why are you pushing a secret appearance? Like, like, I would think a preterist would say the same thing. Like, I can't believe this, you know, secret rapture thing, man. It's, it's like a, you're you're like pushing this, like Jesus clearly said from, as the lightning rolls from the east to the west Everybody, every eye is going to see the appearing of Jesus. It's not a secret thing. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's also kind of, you know, weird that Jesus appeared and, you know, in AD 70 and nobody noticed. Like, oh, so Jesus appeared in this. Okay, so let me get this straight. From the preterist perspective who says, like, basically everything was fulfilled in AD 70 and this is a, it's a done deal. It's all wrapped up. Like, let me get this straight. Okay, so everything happened. Everything happened in 80, 70, right? The, the Rome, Rome, you know, sieged Jerusalem, destroyed the city, tore it on the temple, raised it to the ground. Everything was fulfilled in 8070, including Jesus appearing in the sky with the saints and angels. That happened too correct? Oh yeah, that happened too. It's like, uh, did it happen secretly? Because I don't remember anybody saying that they saw that happening. Well, uh, you know, it's uh, apocalyptic language. You know, uh, so also, Preterists, love you. Also adore you. Also, you are stuck with a secret appearing. So I must also not believe that data point. I can still love you. We can still have lots of conversations. You can be as passionate about telling me about the secret nature of the appearing of Jesus all you want, and we can laugh together and have a great time, but I'm not going to believe that data point. I'm not going to believe that information. I'll believe you generally about other things. You tell me about Jesus, how he's the savior, the king of the world. I will absolutely, 100%, hallelujah, amen you all day long. But then you tell me about how Jesus showed up in eighty seventy, 70, but nobody saw it. I'm not going to believe that. Well, why don't you believe that? Because Jesus told me not to believe that. Paul told me not to believe that. So that's why I'm not going to believe it. It's just interesting that the preterist and the pre-tribulation perspective is stuck with a secret rapture interesting commonality just dawning on me here now so hopefully you don't hate me for this information i just you know i all i can do is what the lord's like leading me to do and and like right now that's what the lord i feel like was leading me to do so hopefully we're still friends can we still be friends i hope so <laughs> but i'm gonna be a friend of jesus and kind of let the let the you know, cards fall where they may, you know. So there's no animosity in my heart at all. Um, so we know that w- the fate of the lawless one, the profile of this lawless one that Paul's talking about, is that he will be killed with the breath. Oh, Jesus, Jesus is gonna breathe out fire and consume this guy. Like it's like you know, like remember like the, the old '80s movies where it was like you know Schwarzenegger, you know Stallone, or you know Carl Weathers or whoever it was, and it was it was like the hero, and then he had the main bad guy. So you had like the super cool hero and then you got the main bad guy now now the main bad guy's usually got a few other you know has an entourage of of imps that he uses to do his dirty work now you know or steven seagal or jean-claude van damme um Like the, like the lower level imps, like it didn't really matter who got killed those guys. Like, yeah, go ahead, whatever. But it was like the main bad guy, you knew the main bad guy was going to be getting killed by the hero. Like nobody else got to kill the main, main bad guy. So it's like, Jesus is like, okay, yeah, he's mine, which is amazing. Uh, that the Lord's like, okay, nobody gets to kill this guy. Like, no, no bus gets to run him over. No disease gets to kill him. Like, no bolt, no stray bullet or arrow. No, nope. I'm gonna make sure that when I show up, he's there, and he's mine. So, part of the profile of the Antichrist. Maybe not surprisingly enough, is that Jesus preserves him, and kills him himself. Shows you how Jesus feels about the Antichrist. And so, um, when the Antichrist comes, you know, should we? Should, you know, here's a great question: Should we pray for the Antichrist? Is that like? Is that a thing? that you like, Lord? What do you, what do you even pray for the antichrist? Like, well, you, clearly he's not going to be saved. So you're like, uh like I mean, like, unless you're just like maybe hope, maybe I don't know. Do we? It's it's that's an open question. What do you pray for the antichrist? You know he's not going to be saved, and you know that Jesus is going to kill him. So like like Lord, like we just pray that nothing you know, no disease gets this guy, no stray bullet hits him that you preserve him so that you can kill him yourself. <laughs> like, it's, a, it's an amazing, Lord, how do we pray for this guy? Is, you know, is, do we pray for him? I mean, I mean there, was, there were people that John would, you know, John says in his, like, I say, don't pray for him. Do not pray for that guy. So maybe we just put the Antichrist under that category. Like, okay, if there's any guy that we can just kind of put under the category of don't pray for him. He's probably put the Antichrist under that category. Now, the Antichrist might have people in his life. He might have mom, dad, brothers, sisters. He might have sons and daughters, maybe a wife or a girlfriend or whatever it is. We could pray for those folks all day long, you know, until, of course, they take the mark of the beast. And then, you know, once the mark is in place, you know, then, then there's, it's, it's a done deal. But um, just an interesting. Interesting question. Do we pray? How do we pray? I'm not saying I have answers to that one, by the way. I'm just throwing that one out there uh, for your consideration. Okay, this is a big one here. Verse 9. This is a big one. This one probably deserves its own episode, but I'm not going to do it as much as I'm tempted to break this off into another episode. I'm just going to make this episode a little bit longer, so hopefully... You don't get too bored with this. But, okay, verse 9. The lawless one, the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power, false signs, and wonders, with all wicked deception for those who are perishing. So the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan. Now, we might be tempted to think, well, that means he's demonized, but if you remember my story about Gary, (laughs) the demoniac from Gadara from the last episode, you know, this guy's not demonized. He is not demonized, no. He is in his full faculty, full capacity. Nothing's hindering him. He's resisting and um, opposing and exalting himself against any so-called God any he's not and that's any so-called God I mean that's lowercase G so any demon they're just they're not that's they're not in him. they're not calling the shots. he's calling the shots. But he's coming in the activity of Satan. What does that mean? Coming in the activity. So it says coming. His coming is by the activity of Satan. There's a a satanic activity around him. And what is that activity? There's this power to do signs and wonders interesting right so there's like this satan satanically empowered ability to do signs and wonders well that makes sense because when you think of jesus and his ministry he came and he was demonstrating the kingdom of god in miracles true miracles miracles of god the lame were walking the deaf received their hearing. The blind could see. Jesus even raised Lazarus from the dead. So the power of God in the miraculous demonstrated the kingdom of God. So you turn that upside down with the lawless one and you have signs and miracles, but not True signs and miracles. He's not going to have the power that Jesus did. Only Jesus has that power. He's going to have a different power. A satanic power. A satanic activity. Like, energized by the demonic realm. But... Like fake, artificial. These are lying signs and wonders. It's kind of like when Moses stood before Pharaoh and, and, and God's like, hey, I want you to show Pharaoh a couple of miracles. These are real miracles. So Moses came and demonstrated real miracles before Pharaoh. So that's what we have in Jesus Christ, true miracles. Then you have Pharaoh's magicians who come out and demonstrate magic. They do some cool stuff. They imitate what Moses did. What Moses did was not a trick. What Moses did was a miracle. What the magicians did, that was a trick. That was sleight of hand. They'd been working on those magic tricks for a while. Have you, ever, have you ever seen a magician like David Blaine or whoever? Like does something and you're just like, How, what? It like blows your mind. You're like, that is the most. That's the craziest thing I've ever seen. He's a magician. That's his thing. That's not a. He didn't do a miracle. He didn't, if he did, yeah, he, he's not doing miracles. He's doing tricks. So that is what the lawless one will do. He's going to do tricks. Now, these are going to be the greatest tricks in human history. Like these are, and they're going to be like energized with demonic activity, like as well. So like, what exactly does that look like? And I want to show you in the Bible, what I believe that's going to look like. And it might be a little bit controversial to the conventional paradigm in eschatology, but I want to show you what it looks like when the lawless one comes by the activity of Satan in lying signs and wonders. Open up to Revelation chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13 tells the story of two beasts. The first beast arises from the sea. It has seven heads and ten horns. And it makes war against the nations. It subdues the earth. But then there's a second beast. And this second beast does... Some peculiar things, some things that harken back to what Paul prophesies about the profile of the man of lawlessness. Let me read to you about the second beast that arises from the earth. Verse 11. I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb. It spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, whose mortal wound was healed. Verse 13. This is the part that sounds like the profile of the man of lawlessness in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Listen here. Verse 13. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs that it was allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth. Revelation chapter 13 tells of A beast that has horns like a lamb. A beast that performs great signs. Even making fire come down in front of people. And it is by these signs and wonders... That this beast is able to deceive the nations. So, Paul tells us the man of lawlessness will come after the activity of Satan with power in false signs and lying wonders to deceive those who are perishing. That's what the Apostle Paul tells us about the profile. Of the man of lawlessness. Now, if we take that profile and we hold it up to Revelation 13, which beast fits that profile? Is it the seven headed beast that makes war with the nations? Or is it the second beast that performs great signs? Even making fire come down from heaven. The beast that uses these signs and wonders to deceive those on the earth. Ladies and gentlemen, saints of God, I'm telling you, the man of lawlessness is not the first beast. The man of lawlessness is the second beast. It's a demonic trinity. The man of sin, the son of destruction, the one who is coming to work miracles. The one who is coming, the activity of Satan, even making Fire come down from heaven. And what is the point of these false signs, these lying miracles? Why is he allowed to do this? It's the opposite of why Jesus operated in signs and wonders, in miracles. Why did Jesus do the miracles Jesus did miracles so that we would believe. It was the words and the work, the word of God and the miracles of God that declared Jesus Christ is God's Messiah. He is the son of man. You take that picture of the Messiah and you flip it on its head and you have the picture of the man of lawlessness who comes with his words of deception and lying miracles and signs to deceive. The kingdom of God came in Jesus Christ. Jesus Is the kingdom and his words, his miracles testify of his divine authority. It speaks to the world about who he is forever. And we have witnesses to those words, we have witnesses to those miracles, and those witnesses have written their eyewitness testimony in the Bible for the world to hear. And it is the words of Jesus and the works of Jesus that together authenticate his eternal authority. Now, for those who reject the truth, for those who have pleasure in unrighteousness, for those whose great longing and lust in life is actually for lawlessness, not the truth, then a delusion is coming and God will send that delusion for those who had pleasure in unrighteousness. A delusion to believe the words and the works, not of the true Messiah, but of the man of lawlessness. What does it look like for the man of lawlessness to come by the activity of Satan in lying signs and wonders? It looks like the second beast of Revelation 13. A man who comes and even makes fire come down from the sky. Now, like that's a very specific example of a miracle, a sign that the man of lawlessness will do. I promise you that when that event occurs, whatever that big display is, eventually that will happen and maybe there's multiple displays of fire coming down from the sky. I promise you it's not because it's a miracle. It's not because God or even a demon was able to make a fire appear out of nothing. No. It's going to be like some sort of technological advancement. It's going to be some sort of satellite system. It's going to be some sort of trick, sleight of hand. It's going to be a lying sign, a lying wonder, not a true one. It's going to be like the sleight of hand of the magicians of Pharaoh, like the ultimate David Blaine. And these lying signs, these lying wonders, and the deceptive words of this man of lawlessness is for those who are perishing. A delusion is coming. This man is arising. We need to understand what is coming. Well, I've kind of went through my list here. I just want to make sure I'm not not missing anything major. I've got my list of characteristics of the man of lawlessness here. He opposes and exalts himself against every so-called god. He takes his seat in the temple of God. He proclaims himself to be God. He is restrained until he is revealed in his time. When restraint, when God's restraint of lawlessness is lifted, the man of lawlessness will be revealed. The man of lawlessness will be killed by Jesus at his appearing, his coming. Is by the activity of Satan. He operates and works false signs and wonders. That's with a wicked deception. So he's very deceptive. His words, so his works are the false signs and wonders. His the wicked deception is his words. His words are deception. He will have incredible power to deceive. And what is it all for? Why is he coming? He's coming to his own. Jesus said, I have come in my father's name and you have rejected me. He says, another is going to come in his own name. And him you will receive. God is putting two men on display. The first is his son, who came in obscurity, born in a barn in Bethlehem nobody noticed. He came. Declaring the kingdom of God. Demonstrating the love of God. He is the light of heaven. He is the word of God. The message of the Father. Glorious in splendor. Humble, meek, perfect. His words were perfect. His acts mighty he came preaching to the poor setting captives free giving sight to the blind raising the dead he is the resurrection and the life he is coming again to rule forever and ever And those who place their faith in him are anchored in him for eternity. So the first man God puts before the world is Jesus Christ, his son, the son of man. But for those who reject the truth, for those who have pleasure in unrighteousness, They get what's behind door number two. What's behind door number two, you ask? It's the man of lawlessness. He is the second man that God puts before humanity and says, take your pick. You get one or you're going to get the other. If you do not love light, if you do not love truth, if you do not love love and you just simply lust after lawlessness, then he's your man. He is coming with lying signs, lying wonders, fake, artificial, sleights of hand the world's greatest magician, and he's coming with very deceptive words. He's going to have all sorts of really bad ideas that sound really good. Ideas like, I don't know. Let's put human beings on Mars. I'm just throwing it out there. Like, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's put people on Mars. That's a great idea. Fantastic. But his words will deceive. His bad ideas will be celebrated and embraced. Why will people believe the lies? Why will folks be so excited about the deceptions? It's because God is Sending a strong delusion so that they will adhere to the lawless one. They will adhere to their corporate head. It's the great separation of humanity. The separation of humanity under two banners Jesus, the Son of God, and the man of lawlessness. One leads to eternal life, paradise, and bliss. One is the son of destruction. So that pretty much does it for 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I'm going to leave it there for now. Probably we'll circle back to the chapter at some point in time. But for now, we're going to go ahead and close that glorious letter the Thessalonians and um, hoping you enjoyed today's episode hoping it shed new light helped you to grow closer to Jesus helped you to understand his word better that you might anchor your faith fully in him so I'm going to go ahead and sign off tell you to keep watching, praying, and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Later. That concludes this episode of Babylon Singularity. I want to thank you for tuning in. If you're looking to hear more from me, you can find me on Twitter as well as my website, babylonsingularity.com. I've also authored a book titled Babylon, available on Amazon. I look forward to hearing any thoughts or feedback, comments that you may have to help me make this show better. I do hope it's a blessing to you, and I hope that you'll tune in next time to Babylon Singularity.